And they're like, oh, we're very lucky. Yeah. And I, I have a hard time wrestling with that. And, and this is the last one. I didn't know if I want to say this one. Uh, the one thing that got me mad, cause like you get a thousand emotions in it. Right. So like, it was like super joy, right? You had like a ball of joy. Imagine like a glass ball of joy. That's what the day was. Oh. It's like pure joy for like a million people. Yeah. Like literally, literally. And like to infringe on Disney's copyright, like the happiest place on earth. I literally think that until the shooting, that was the happiest place on earth. Millions of people all dressed the same, soup, like yep. thrilled, unified and thrilled. And then that glass ball breaks into a million shards of emotions, confusion, anger, sadness, grief, fear, fear. It's all, there's more, there's the illogical stuff. And I was, while we were walking out and I didn't feel like we were in grave danger, thanks to our security and just, it felt far away. I saw this kid kind of walking and he wasn't in immediate danger. At least I didn't feel like that. It felt like we were far away when we were all walking up that little hill. And I was like, man, this is not fair. Like this kid's, and this kid's lucky. He's one of the, he's the lucky. There's other kids who are in the hospital right now. And there's kids who lost their mother. And this kid who I just got mad that this moment was stolen from him. Mm. Yeah. And so I, but we're all lucky. So that's what I'm, I mean, this might not be coming out perfectly, but I, that's what I've been trying to wrestle with. That the idea that we're lucky to be in this situation, to come out of it physically unscathed, those other people tragically weren't. Um, I, I think that was beautiful, Wild. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you guys about the times my family first saw me cry because there's a chance you guys are going to see me cry for the first time for Diora, my older daughter. It was December of 2012 in the lobby of her school when she was seven years old when I went to pick her up the day of Sandy Hook. And that day, of course, someone with a lightweight semi-automatic rifle shot around two dozen kids her age. And I saw her in that lobby and I immediately started sobbing. It's the first time she ever saw me cry. My youngest daughter, Deanna, who's been on this show, who you, everyone here knows really well. First time she ever saw me cry was March of 2022 in our kitchen. When I opened up Twitter and saw what had happened at Robb Elementary and someone with a lightweight semi-automatic rifle shot around two dozen people that were her age and I, and I sobbed and she was concerned. She didn't know. I didn't, I, I just like, it was so, and I'm not a big crier, nothing against it, but I, I sobbed. And yesterday, shortly after a few kids themselves with lightweight semi-automatic rifles shot around two dozen people, um, my wife saw me cry in a way I haven't, and it wasn't when, uh, w at the parade, it wasn't on the walk over. It was at the hotel. Once we had gotten to the safety of our room, we're at the elevator and there was this little old lady who was on the phone fighting back tears, mm. wearing a chief shirt. And she saw me and knew us, knew the show and came over and gave me a hug and started crying. And I still didn't cry yet. And then we talked and she said she was there with her kids and grandkids and her, I believe she said 14 year old granddaughter had to take the lead because she's been trained for this and the adults hadn't. And I cried and I cried because it's so God dog cruel what we've taken from this generation of kids that we all got. 
They, listen, yesterday, Wilds is right, we're lucky, but yesterday was also the single worst 10 seconds of my life. And it was not, it was not the, when we heard the gunshot and we're told to get down. And it was not, it, the, ten, the, the part that is seared into my memory from a selfish perspective is the time between them telling us active shooter and me finding in the crowd ostensibly where the shooter was my wife my sister-in-law and her best friend because i you know th those that 10 seconds felt like it was five minutes mm -hmm. uh but that that is that is a such a different feeling than for these young kids who have now had to learn drill and experience what to do in a mass shooting situation before they lose their first tooth yeah before they have their first kiss for those kids there yesterday part of their childhood ended and to your point those are the kids that we consider lucky mm -hmm. the kids who didn't end up in hospital beds and so i i i'm incredibly sad about this and this is where i will pivot a bit but I am furious. I'm furious because this is so clearly all our fault. And we have so clearly lost the plot so quickly. I understand now that at this point, talking about any type of regulations whatsoever on guns in America is verboten for some. But we, some of the strictest statewide gun regulations ever passed in this country were passed by Ronald Reagan. Right. And the the assault weapons ban in the 90s was supported by Ronald Reagan, who is a paragon, uh, you know what I mean, for many uh, on the conservative side of the aisle. I, We say when it comes to this particular topic, we turn ourselves into morons. We say ludicrous things like, why have laws? People break them. Like, we make these arguments of, well, if you pass a law, only criminals will break the law. As if, okay, well, then make selling meth legal because only meth dealers will break it. We, 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 we trick ourselves into good guy with a gun. There were 800 good guys there yesterday. How many of them did we shake hands with before that we saw? There were uniformed police. There were, there, there, you couldn't have had more good guys prepared, ready. And in a, instant there's nothing they can do until after the fact and mitigate the damage and that's my home city and the only thing that brings kansas city together is the chiefs we are a divided city we are a segregated city we have the chiefs is the only thing that brings it together and the moment is is shattered mm -hmm. and the 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 state of missouri as of october was fighting at the supreme court to not allow local police to enforce federal gun laws. They were fighting against the local cops' ability to enforce federal gun laws. That's how insane we've gone. And what we will do is to just keep plowing ahead. We will continue with the wellness checks that my best friend in the world called me yesterday to check on me, just like I did for him two years ago when he was at a parade in Highland Park, Chicago, they got shot up on the 4th of July. And we'll just keep going with active shooter drills and a generation of kids who had this part of their life stolen from them and throw our hands up and say, what can we do? 
when we all know the answer. And so I, 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 you guys struck a far better tone than me. I apologize, but I am heartbroken and I love Kansas city so much. And I, those kids were so happy and those people were so happy and some exact words of a defiant Fonnie Willis. She is, of course, the Georgia DA overseeing Trump's election interference case, and she took the stand for hours today in a high-stakes hearing which just ended, a hearing that focused on her relationship with Nathan Wade, who is her top prosecutor in the Trump case. And it was a show. Trump and his allies' lawyers pried into salacious, deeply personal details in Willis's private life, and Willis did not back down, turning the tables on them. I'm right, Bill. It's it's like a, a woman doesn't have the right to keep her private life private. And I'm speaking on this because there have been all these in, intimations. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. That is, though, exactly what Trump's legal team wanted, which was to put Willis on trial, hoping that if they can get her disqualified, that will sink her case, which is into election interference to try to overturn an election. Now, to be clear, the allegations against Willis are serious. If a person hires somebody they're dating to help them financially using taxpayer money, that is serious, extremely serious. It would be disqualified. Team Trump did not provide any evidence that Willis did any of that. And of course, we do know that Willis only hired Nathan Wade after several others refused the job. But that did not matter when it came to the humiliating questions posed to Willis today. She asked when the romantic relationship ended. That's the question. It sometime in, um, I'd say late summer of 2023. But I don't believe men, um, what, this is what you're really asking about. This is the salaciousness of all of this, right? Don't know about your romantic relationship when you stopped dating. I, I, I think that me and Mr. Wade, oh, he's a man. He probably would say June or July. I would say we had a tough conversation in August. 
Yep. Mr. Wayne visits you at the place you laid your head. When? Has he ever visited you at the place you laid your head? So let's be clear because you lied in this. This Let me tell you which one you lied in right here. I think you lied right here. No, 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 no. This is the truth, Judge. And this, it, it, it is a lie. It is a lie. Well, who's here? Let's just say now, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. Trump's team is obviously trying to make the argument that Willis financially benefited from the investigation into Trump and should be removed. But Willis, again, testifying under oath, said that she did not need Wade's money while discussing the relationship. Did the forthcoming indictment have anything to do with that? Or was it just a coincidence? Mr. Let's go on and have the conversation. I'm just asking you whether or not it was a coincidence. Had absolutely nothing to do with this. It's interesting that we're here about this money. Mr. Wade is used to women that, uh, as he told me one time, the only thing a woman can do for him is make him a sandwich. We would have brutal arguments about the fact that I am your equal. I don't need anything from a man. A man is not a plan. A man is a companion. And so there was tension always in our relationship, which is why I was give him his money back. I don't need anybody to foot my bills. The only man who's ever foot my bills completely is my daddy. Is there anything else you would like to add to that? No. Sure. I'm sure we'll talk about it further. Wow. See what I said? To be clear, what Trump's team wants to discuss has nothing to do with the actual facts of the case here, right? The facts of the actual case, the heart of all of this is whether Trump and his allies uh, it's about election interference. They repeatedly tried to overturn this election in Georgia in 2020. Nick Valencia is out front. He is live in Atlanta to begin our coverage. Nick, I think just from what we played there, anybody who didn't have a chance to watch throughout the day understands this was an incredible moment. And it is not like something anybody in this country gets to see in a courtroom on a regular basis. A stunning day. Uh, Fannie Willis takes the stand. Uh, and and all of this happens. You've got some new reporting. What are you learning now? Well, Erin, it was stunning to see the DA on the stand today. And I just spoke to Bishop Reginald Jackson, who spent the morning with Fonnie Willis before court. He prayed with her and he said he wanted to offer her words of encouragement. And to him, he said, Fonnie woke up ready this morning to testify and eager to meet this head on. But still, it was just so surreal to see the DA up there taking questions from defense attorneys. Fonnie Willis went out of her way to say that she wasn't the one on trial, but there were certainly moments during today's hearing where it sure felt like. I've been very anxious to have this conversation today. Well, I ran to the court. A defiant Fulton County DA, Fonnie Willis, take the stand today after weeks of fighting allegations that she personally benefited from a romantic relationship she had with Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor she handpicked to spearhead the sprawling racketeering charges against Donald Trump and his allies. I probably had some choice words about some of the things that you said that were dishonest within this motion, though so I don't know that it was a conversation. As you know, Mr. Wade is a Southern gentleman. Me, not so much. Willis, not hiding her anger over the allegations, one point being called a hostile witness by the defense. I'm very, very want to be here, so I'm not a hostile witness. While both Wade and Willis have admitted to the relationship they had, they say it began only after Wade took the job. That timeline, also a major point of contention in the hearing today. Before Willis took the stand, the first witness of the day directly contradicted Wade and Willis's previous statements to the court. You have no doubt that their romantic relationship was in effect from 2019 until the last time you spoke with her. No doubt. That's three years earlier than when Wade said in an affidavit the relationship started. But Wade holding firm to that date when he took the stand. 2022 was the start of any intimate sexual relationship with the district attorney. 
as did Willis. When did you start dating? When I started dating Mr. Wade? It was right around then. Um, April 2020? 22. Yeah, it was around then. I don't know, like, you know, it's not like when you're in grade school and you send a little letter and it says, will you be my girlfriend and you check it. And then there's the money trail. Defense attorneys pressing on whether or not Wade paid for Willis when the two vacationed together, trying to suggest that he used money he made from his taxpayer-funded contract at the DA's office on Willis. Both maintain that they split their vacation expenses. So all of the vacations that she took, she paid you cash for? Yes, ma'am. Willis confirming the same in her testimony. Because we went out multiple times, that probably went to the level of more than $100. But if, if we're doing tit for tat like that, I probably paid for as many meals as he paid for. And so I did not receive any gifts from him. And at times, forcefully pushing back with the defense attorney, first launched the allegations. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial.
trailed with a rally in Michigan this evening. He's also tuning, <laughs> turning to a unique form of fundraising one day after being ordered to pay nearly a half billion dollars in damages for business fraud. A few hours ago, <laughs> I can't believe this, Trump launched his own line of sneakers at a sneaker conference in Philadelphia. I'm serious. Take a look at these. The most expensive model is this, the Never Surrender High Top Sneaker, selling for $399 a pair. That's a lot pricier than a MAGA hat or his Victory 47 cologne and perfume. Smells like desperation. Then again, Trump could use the money. Judge Arthur Engoron has ordered him to pay $355 million for a penalty, plus at least $99 million in interest. Interest that will keep increasing or accruing until the judgment is paid. Trump is also personally banned from running a business in New York or even getting a loan in New York for the next three years. Trump denies he ever lied about his property values or committed any fraud. He says he made the banks a lot of money and there were no victims of his actions. New York Attorney General Letitia James, well, she begged to differ. I want to be clear. White collar financial fraud is not a victimless crime. When the powerful break the law and take more than their fair share, there are fewer resources available for working people, small businesses and families. Of course, Trump is planning to appeal Engoron's decision, but that wasn't the only ruling against Trump this week. The judge in the New York hush money case, the first to result in criminal charges against Trump, said a
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. I'm your host, B-O-T-T-L-E-Y. We are the Common Sense Party. We, our mission is to inform our listeners about topics that affect every day persons. Rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Rate us, review us. Give us five stars. Give us four stars. Give us three stars. Give us two stars. Give us any stars. Because if you don't give us any stars, we just assume that we're doing it correctly. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. We're available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Pandora, iHeart, YouTube, Music, Cool Podcasts, and tune in. You can also contact us at the Party Pod at gmail.com. We are available on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. You can also support the Common Sense Party at Cash App. The information is available on our robot screen. Today, we are discussing... Uh, who what who controls the narrative? This is an election year. Uh primaries are starting in Georgia this this for the next three three weeks. So early voting and then on March twelfth you can vote. That'll be the actual primary day. Uh but first, a week out from the Super Bowl, uh there was another mass shooting that is uh, 49 for if you're keeping count in America there's 49 mass shootings uh, um, the one thing that got me mad because like you get so, a thousand emotions in it right so what? like it was like first things, super first joy thing. right you had like a ball of joy imagine like a glass <laughs> ball of joy that's what the day was yep. it was like pure joy for like a million people yeah. like uh, literally well, literally and like to infringe on Disney's copyright like the happiest place on earth I literally think that until the shooting, that was the happiest place on earth. Millions of people all dressed the same, soup like thrilled, unified and thrilled. And then that glass ball breaks into a million shards of emotions, confusion, anger, sadness, grief, fear, fear. It's all there's more. There's the illogical stuff. And I was while we were walking out, and I didn't feel like we were in grave danger thanks to our security. It just it felt far away. I saw this kid kind of walking, and he wasn't in immediate danger. At least I didn't feel like that. It felt like we were far away when we were all walking up that hill. And I was like, man, this is not fair. Like this kid's and this kid's lucky. He's one of the. He's the lucky. There's other kids who are in the hospital right now, and there's. This kids who lost their mother Again, this and this kid who i just got mad that this moment was stolen from him the year yeah. and, at 49, and so 49, I, but we're all lucky so that's what i mean this might not be coming out perfectly so like that's what i've been to, trying to wrestle with to get it together that the idea that we're and lucky I'm calling to be in this situation this to come out of it physically unscathed to other people tragically the Manelli, the, um, those young I, kids I might not know what we do um so, year, so i need y'all to, I'm gonna, to come out i'm gonna tell you guys about Seven, the times my family first saw four. me cry because there's a chance out. you guys are going to see me cry for the first time for diora my older daughter it was december of 2012 in the lobby of her school when she was seven years old when i went to pick her up today and that day of course someone with a lightweight semi-automatic rifle 
shot around two dozen kids her age, and I saw her in that lobby, and I immediately started sobbing. First time she ever saw me cry. My youngest daughter, Deanna, who's been on this show, who everyone here knows really well, first time she ever saw me cry was March of 2022 in our kitchen, when I opened up Twitter and saw what had happened at Rob Elementary, and someone with a lightweight semi-Olenic rifle shot around two dozen people that were her age, and I, and I sobbed. And she was concerned. She didn't know. I didn't. I, I just like it was so. And I'm not a big crier. Nothing against it. But I, I stopped. And yesterday, shortly after, a few kids themselves with lightweight semi-automatic rifles shot around two dozen people. My wife saw me cry in a way I haven't. And it wasn't when. At the break, it wasn't on the walk over. Twenty twenty six. Twenty twenty. Once we had gotten 20, to the safety 30, of our room, whenever it is at the elevator, so we can and there was this little old lady who was on the phone fighting back tears, the wearing a chief shirt, and she saw anything, me anything and at all, knew us, anything, knew the show, doing anything and came all, over and gave nothing, me a hug nothing, and started crying. Nothing. And I still didn't uh, cry. This is and why then we, we need talked. To and she up. said she was there with her kids and grandkids and her, I believe she said, 14-year-old granddaughter had to take the lead because she's been trained for this and the adults had and i cried and i cried because it's so god darn cool what we've taken from yeah, this generation this, uh, of kids that we all got to show that they, listen yesterday wilds is right we're lucky but yesterday was also the single worst 10 seconds horrible. of my life and it was horrible. not Horrible. It was not the when we heard yeah, the gunshot and we're told to get down, do and it was not it, the tin the, the even part that is seared into my memory from a selfish perspective is the time between them telling us active out. shooter and me finding in the crowd ostensibly where the shooter was my wife, my sister in law, and her best friend because I you know th those that ten seconds felt like it was five yeah. minutes, yeah. Uh, yeah. but that that is that is such a different feeling than for these young kids who have now had to learn drill and experience what to do in a mass shooting situation before they lose their first tooth yeah before they have their first kiss for those kids there yesterday part of their childhood in yep. and to your point was, was those are the kids that exactly. we consider lucky mm -hmm. the kids who didn't end up in hospital beds and so i i i'm incredibly sad about this and this is where i will pivot a bit but i am furious i'm furious because this is so clearly all our fault and we have so clearly lost the plot so quickly I understand now that at this point, talking about any type of regulations whatsoever on guns in America is verboten for some, but we, some of the strictest statewide gun regulations ever passed in this country were passed by Ronald Reagan. Right. And the, the assault weapons ban in the 90s was supported by Ronald Reagan, who is a paragon, uh, you know what I mean, for many... Uh, on yeah, the conservative side that's of the aisle, I, we say when it comes to this particular to to topic, to we turn ourselves any into morons. We say ludicrous uh, things uh, like, why have laws? People break them. 
Like yeah. we make these arguments of well, if you pass no. a law, only hopefully, criminals hopefully will break the law. As it okay, well then make selling meth legal yeah, because only meth dealers will break it. We 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 right. we We're trick ourselves to... into Show good guy with a gun. Show there were the eight hundred um, good guys there yesterday. He has a message. How many of them did we also, shake hands with before with, that we saw? There were uniform police. There were there couldn't have had more good guys prepared, ready. Check it out. And in an instant, there's nothing they can do until after the fact and mitigate the damage. And that's my home city. And the only thing that brings Kansas right. City together is the Chiefs. We are a divided city. We are a segregated city. We have, the Chiefs is the only thing that brings it together. And the moment is is, is shattered. And the, of course, the, the state of Missouri, as of October, was fighting at the Supreme Court to not allow local police to enforce federal gun laws. They were fighting against the local cops' ability to enforce federal gun laws. That's how insane we've gone. And what we will do is to just keep plowing ahead. We will continue with the wellness checks that my best friend in the world called me yesterday to check on me. Just like I did for him two years ago when he was in a parade in Highland Park, Chicago, they got shot up on the 4th of July. And we'll just keep going with active shooter drills and a generation of kids who had this part of their lives stolen from them. And throw our hands up and say, what can we do when we all know the answer? And so, I, 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 you don't guys struck on. a far better don't tone than me. Voice. I apologize. There are. But I am heartbroken. Okay, let's say it is. And I love Kansas City so if much. And I, those kids were so happy, and those people were so happy, and some some kids themselves with easy access to rifles and other guns. Joe Biden, we'll be right back. Seventy forty, Kamala Harris will be the first black female president in the United States history. Seventy forty, seventy forty, and that's what that's what they're they're banking on. They're banking on. They're banking on. Republicans are selling that to the Republican men. They want to be led by women. And I always say Republicans don't like women. Absolutely not. They don't like women because that's why they did away with abortion. They did away with abortion and they won't expand um, Medicare or Medicaid or the foster system. You can't be pro-life and not expand the social safety. Yet. So that's, that's one thing. All right. Uh, here's, a, here's another one. Um, this guy, I see him around all the time, but he's hedging the the bets, hedging the f the fences, as they say. He won't endorse Trump, but he won't. He he'll shoot his shot at. He'll downplay Biden. Bill Maher is starting to do that too. He's afraid to endorse him. So yeah, he is hedging his bets, not wanting to, not wanting to um, endorse him because if he goes to jail, he might lose sponsors. 
So he wants he wants to keep his audience, but he also wants to keep money. Because if he endorses, say he endorses Trump, and Trump is arrested or goes to jail, the the big the big money corporations, because he he lives in Florida, so those people don't even don't even um don't even um count. So he so he is hedging his bets, but I don't believe in that anyway. But um, this guy, the Do Nothing Congress, you gotta check this out. They admit they admit the the they admit the plot they admit the plot on on live TV. This is not a racketeering incident. Created by the Republicans. Get it, babe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Midas Touch, for your insight. And now for our final story, um, which is a fake uh, FBI informant who came out. Republicans said they're working on a plan to address border security after rejecting a bipartisan Senate bill. But in the meantime, they voted to make DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas the first cabinet member in 150 years to be impeached over his handling of the border. Natalie Brand has more details from Capitol Hill. The congressional fight over the southern border has intensified after House Republicans impeached Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas by a margin of one vote. was necessary to deal with a rogue DHS secretary whose lawless actions have caused and perpetuated one of the worst, the worst border crisis in American history. The articles head to the Democratic-controlled Senate later this month. Majority Leader Schumer's office says senators will be sworn in as jurors the next day. What are Republicans focused on? Stupid stuff. Like baseless impeachments with no evidence. The impeachment comes as the House Speaker is hinting he may not bring up the Senate's newly passed bipartisan foreign aid package for a vote. 
The Republican-led House will not be jammed or forced into passing a foreign aid bill that was opposed by most Republican senators and does nothing to secure our own border. But border security provisions had to be removed from the package last week because a majority of GOP lawmakers, including the Speaker, said they did not go far enough. The White House tweeted a valentine to Speaker Johnson saying roses are red, violets are blue, the border deal was crushed because of you. I've been re requesting a meeting with the president for weeks now, a month. I've been asking to sit down with the president to talk about the border and talk about national security, and that meeting has not been granted. CBS News has confirmed that without additional funding, ICE is considering releasing thousands of migrants from custody. The Biden administration requested billions of dollars to fund immigration and customs enforcement operations. DHS officials say without it, they may need to pull money from sub-agencies such as the Coast Guard to cover the expenses. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, today's show was about narrative. Whose narrative are you listening to? Who's, whose narrative we, are we going to follow? And unpack this all this together. I think the Republicans in the meantime, pie, however, are in danger of D losing the advantage they have vis-a-vis -vis -vis Biden rate, on the issue of the border and follow, on the issue subscribe, of uh, Ukraine funding, Israel funding, funding to defend Taiwan because they are refusing uh, again, to act on these measures I, that would deal with that, also on the issue of rebuilding America's defenses. 60, so I think that uh, that snapshot that those, those polling numbers you cited this year, uh, represent uh, may be temporary uh, and are likely to be temporary, in fact. Podcast, and the Republicans to look, think of what the Republicans are doing, for example, uh, Kevin, uh, on the border issue. They said that they wouldn't pass aid to Ukraine and other places unless there was action on the border. Give so the Senate produced a bill negotiated by one of its most conservative Republican members on the border, which had some defects in it, as compromise measures always do. And it was nonetheless the strongest border protection bill that I've seen in my time in Washington. And it uh, and, the, and the House simply announced it was not going to take it up, so it failed even in the Senate. Then comes this question of measures for the funding of of the Ukraine and elsewhere, and that is looks like it's going to go down in the, on the, in the House as well, even though it passed the Senate. So I think these are a couple of issues that to put Republicans again, in peril of looking like a, literally a do-nothing Congress, which is something you can bet the Biden administration is going to be talking about going yes, forward in the Biden campaign up. as well. Thank you. And they should. They absolutely should. Again, as we talk about simply a fact, because of Mike Johnson, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leadership in the House of Representatives, this is factually the second least effective and productive Congress in U.S. history because Republicans, even with their razor-thin and ever-shrinking majority, refuse to work bipartisanly with House Democrats, with Senate Democrats, with Senate Republicans, and the Democratic president. They genuinely believe with their razor-thin majority in one chamber that is often unruly and chaotic, that they get to be the tail that wags the dog. It's absolutely absurd. 
and they're punished for bipartisanship. Marjorie Taylor Greene, whose star, unfortunately, is ever rising within the House Republican Conference, has repeatedly said that Republicans who work with Democrats should be primary. They should suffer electoral consequences, which doesn't create much of an incentive to get things done. So Britt Hume is like, listen, there's ample fodder here for the Biden administration to really hammer this home. But it's not just Britt Hume, who is relatively reasonable as far as right-wing commentators are concerned. Eric Bowling on Newsmax, right, who is considerably less reasonable on a network that is considerably more partisan and deranged. Even he, in his estimation, is starting to get really frustrated with Republicans' performance. Republicans lost the seat. And this also might be why GOP voters flipped in last night's election. I talked to two voters today who voted for Donald Trump in 2016, turned around and voted for the Democrats in this race, voted for Tom Suozzi because they said his message on bipartisanship and the fact that House Republicans have really struggled to pass legislation over the last couple of weeks impacted the way they were looking at this race. Republicans can't govern. The New York voters claim they they have a point. Look at our southern border disaster and foreign aid funding completely off the charts recently. Americans are fed up with Republicans, not for political reasons, but because they cannot govern. They can't govern. They absolutely can. This is so funny because I love I love having these conversations and like the debates and and back and forths I very often have with conservatives. It's simply a fact. Regardless, even if you genuinely believe that in theory Republican policy is better, it's not. But you believe it, that's fine. The fact of the matter is Republicans suck at governing. Democrats are objectively better deal makers, administrators, negotiators, executors of policy, legislators. They're just better. Republicans cannot factually run a lemonade stand. They're just not. They suck at it. And, and why is that so surprising to people? The entire ethos of the Republican Party is government sucks. So they're incentivized to make sure government doesn't work because that's the entire platform. Government sucks. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful racket they have. They say government sucks. They help contribute to government breaking or not being able to be fixed. Then they point to that and say, hey, I see. I told you government sucks. Also, please reelect me. And then they get reelected and the cycle repeats. And Democrats, on the other hand, it's like constantly dealing with a bunch of cats knocking stuff off the counter. And as you're trying to clean up, the cat knocks something else. It's like it's an untenable situation. But the fact of the matter shows, and it's clearly elected in the facts, Republicans can't govern. Even Eric Bowling is fed up with it. But it's not just Eric Bowling. Kellyanne Conway, right, who used to work for Donald Trump as one of his senior advisors. She is the master. She is, she is a washing machine on spin. She spins so well. Even she had to give it up to Democrats, and much like Eric Bowling just did, uh, with regards to the third uh, congressional district in New York, that special election that was held the other day, in a seat that was previously occupied by Republicans. Republicans previously occupied the seat. Democrats flipped it. Um, so again, that's kind of the predicate for her comments as well. This is what she had to say. Swazi, instead of lying, like every other Democrat seems to be doing these days, Mayorkas is doing a great job. There's no crisis at the border. The borders are calm. is wonderful. Biden's right. What did he do? He said, I better go against my party on the border. And he did it. Paid advertising, mailers, press conferences, public appeals. So he has shown the Democrats how to run on the border. Um, I think the Republicans should do the same thing with abortion. Instead of being ostriches and pretending with their head in the sand, they should be peacocks and say, look, this is what it means to be pro-life in 2024. This is what it means to be pro-choice in 2024. And instead of hiding 
own it and message it. I think he did a great job on that going against his party. Let's see how many Democrats follow suit. So what she's saying is that even on the specific issue of immigration and abortion, just like Britt Hume said, that Democrats do have a winning argument to make if they're able to make it skillfully, right? Um, Tom Swasey was able to win, at least in part. I would argue there are other reasons, which people who voted for him valued democracy, for example, according to the polls. They, they valued bipartisanship as well as uh, what Eric Bowling said as well. So it wasn't just the matter of the southern border. But to Kellyanne Conway's point, there is a way to deliver a winning message for Democrats or a more persuasive uh, argument, at least, than Republicans on the border if you get a sufficiently skilled interlocutor and rhetorician to make the case or a candidate. So to me, the fact that you have back-to-back-to-back examples of prominent right-wing commentators who are starting to panic, even though right now the polling favors them, even now on, on immigration, right, as we talked about whether we like it or not, immigration is the highest polling issue at this point in time with the American voter. And right now, Republicans still enjoy an advantage, but it is early. And if the Democrats can fire on all cylinders, if the media reports these things accurately, the American people will come to know that even if they think that this bipartisan deal was the best thing since sliced bread, even though, again, it was very conservative, relatively speaking, well, it's Republicans that killed it. Democrats should get all the credit and Republicans should get all the blame. And there's an opportunity here for that to be the case. Moreover, on the broader issue, Republicans cannot govern. And that, more than ever, more than anything, is an evergreen issue for Democrats. They don't even have to campaign with respect to the border because, again, the, there is ample reason not to do it. Again, that was a very conservative, bipartisan bill, so many progressives might not want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. That's okay. to discuss the state of American politics. I, I saw you describe this campaign that we're headed into as uh, a race between uh, the cowards, the crooks, and the couch. Yeah, the crooks are the Republicans. The, the, the cowards are the Democrats because they don't fight hard enough on anything. And, you know, the couch is a vote of apathy. And, you know, that's, that's who everybody is up against in 2024. And right now... Right now, it feels like the couch is going to win. I don't know who that benefits, you know, by the couch winning, but it feels like the couch is going to win. What, what's your sense? How engaged, how much is your audience paying attention to this race? My audience, I feel like my audience is America. And when, I, yeah. when I'm out and about just, you know, walking in the street, uh, people are calling into the radio station, like nobody is, nobody is inspired, you know, by, by the upcoming 
election. Like, you know, I, I, like nobody wants to see the rematch between, you know, Biden and Trump. And that's what makes me feel like the couch is going to win. Why? This is the first time in my life when people say things like, you know, uh, this person is a threat to democracy. It's absolutely true. And it's mind boggling to me that, you know, nobody is taking it as serious as I feel like they should. Like we watched an attempted coup of this country happen on January 6th. And everybody's acting like it was just a bunch of people, you know, wilding at, at spring break, you know, down in Florida. Yeah. Like we literally watched, you know, people try to overthrow the government because they didn't like the results of an election led by uh, a, a former, you know, president. If that doesn't cause a sense of urgency in people, I don't know what will. Bi I mean, Biden does make that an issue over and over again. I mean, he constantly talks about that. Why is it not resonant? Well, he's, a, he's just an uninspiring candidate. Like, you know, there's nothing about, you know, Joe Biden that makes you want to listen to him. That's why he should be leaning on, you know, his vice president, Kamala Harris, who's way more charismatic than him. He should be le leaning on, you know, other surrogates like, you know, Gavin Newsom, or, you know, Sh Sh Shapiro in, in, in Pennsylvania. Like, he should be leaning on people who have, are more inspiring than him, who are more charismatic than him. And he should just be, I guess, if you want to call it the, the brains of the operation behind the scenes. Like that sounds crazy that we're saying that about a president of the United States of America, but he, he has no main character energy at all. None. And what is that? Is that age? Is it the way he is? I mean, why, why do you, what, what's the problem? I don't think it has anything to do with, 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 with age. You know, I think it has just everything to do with, with him. Like Donald Trump is what, four years, three years younger than president Biden, but he just comes off a lot more youthful. He comes off, you know, like he has a lot more energy. And I always say this about them. Donald Trump seems more sincere about his lies than Joe Biden does about his truth. Charlemagne endorsed Joe Biden in 2020, but says it was primarily because he had chosen Kamala Harris as his running mate. Has she met your expectations? You've been kind of tough on her. No, she hasn't. But I don't think it's too late for her to pivot. You know, I think that right now, you know, historically, vice presidents have always kind of played their role. Their role is to just basically parrot the president, you know, speak, you know, on behalf of the president. But I think, man, we're in a, a, a new, a new era, right? Like, like for new Jack problems, we need new Jack solutions. And she serves a unique purpose, right? Because she is the first woman of color in that position. So there's things that she could talk about. There's things that she could say that I feel like, you know, he can't. And I mean, man, we all remember her in those Senate hearings when she was pressing those people, when she was like really on, you know, the, the, she was prosecuting these people. And I want to see her prosecute the case against Donald Trump in this country. I feel like she could go out there and really let the American people, you know, know what's going on. I'd like to see her going on outlets like Fox News. I'd like to see her going in there and mixing it up. Well, do you get blowback from the White House? Because you even now in this conversation, you're very tough on Biden. So when you when you say something critical, do you hear from not, that's just too many. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. But we can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> because I feel like you should be able to criticize whoever your elected official is, right? Yeah. Even if I do criticize them, I'm criticizing them because of what I see coming up in November. I see what we're facing. So what I'm saying to them is, where is the sense of urgency? You can't keep saying that there's a, a threat to democracy and democracy as we know it is going to be, be, be gone, but not act like it. 
And, and the other problem is they've always done this with every single Republican candidate. Since I've been alive, whoever the Republican presidential candidate has been, they've demonized. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's John McCain. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, Mitt Romney. It doesn't matter who it is. They will, they will demonize the Republican candidate. And now that there's an actual legitimate threat right there in our faces, they're like the, they're like the party who cried wolf. Nobody believes them. You think Trump can win? I don't know, but that's what's scary about it, right? Because when you look at everything he's done, right? The attempted coup of this country, put the Supreme Court judges on who got rid of Roe v. Wade, takes credit, says, I, I am the one who got rid of Roe v. Wade. Me, I did that. When you see all of that, it really shouldn't be close, right? But when you have a candidate like President Biden, who the polls are, you know, saying had the lowest approval rating ever, and, you know, he'd lose to a general election and a Trump, that's scary. That's where these conversations are coming from, where they're like, yo, you might need to step aside and put somebody else in there. Because, you know, my fear is that the election is going to be close, right? You've got a very powerful voice. You've got, you know, incredibly influential show. Uh, you've got an audience that Democrats especially crave. And obviously, Nikki Haley coming on, uh, Republicans as well. Are you going to be using that voice to try to affect this, this, this election? I'm going to tell people exactly what I'm seeing. I, I'm not going to endorse anybody, but I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm seeing. And what I'm seeing is, you know, democracy really on the brink, right? Like, like this is the, I would tell my listeners exactly what I'm about to say right now. For years, they've told us that, you know, these people are threats to democracy. This person is absolutely a threat to democracy. That sounds like an endorsement. I mean, it sounds like you're saying endorse not Donald Trump, which, as you've said, yeah. it's going to be Biden. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's an endorsement. You know, I'm just simply telling people what is going on out there. Because I'm going to speak the truth about Democrats, too. Because I feel like if you lie to people about Democrats, they won't believe you when you tell them the truth about Republicans. So if I lie to people about what I see with Joe Biden, they're not going to believe me when I tell them the truth about what I see with Donald Trump. So all you got to do at this point, and I hate to say this, but why do we keep having to say this? Pick your poison. One poison might send you to the hospital for a couple of days. Yeah. The other one will absolutely kill you. Our thanks to Charlemagne for that. Hi, everyone. Jo
this is I'm always about this. Um, I do not. You're supporting Biden, though. Of course, because we only get two choices. I mean, what is so hard to understand about about bad and worse? They forced America to take the vaccine bill. Seventy percent Americans took the vaccine and they didn't want to take it. A lot of them. Wait, 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 wait a second. When did the vaccine come about? Under Biden? Uh, no, under Trump. No, no, it didn't. It came two days after election was over with. Two days after election was over with, uh, Pfizer announced it was not under under Trump. Oh, they intentionally yeah, you're right. vaccine you're right. after the election, so they gave the victory That's to right. Trump, Biden. But Trump was not anti. Trump was like, I created the vaccine. I don't disagree with you. I agree with you. Oh, I takes it as a victory. I'm, with, I'm on the same page but, with you. Okay, but... But there's a difference. Yeah, this is the one I, difference, Bill. But I, May I say this? May yeah. I say this? And then, and then push back. Here's the difference. You know what the difference is? How many times have you heard Trump get on stage and brag about warp speed? We saved 100 million people's lives, can, right? Can I ask you a simple yeah. yes or no question? Yeah. Well, not exactly yes or no, but who are you voting for? I'm voting for whoever allows me to make decisions more and not somebody that what? decides what's good for me or not. Bro, we're not in a debate here. No, no. The, the, left, what, the left. I asked you a yes or no. vaccine. Wait a second. The state of wait, California wait. and the industry you're in force you to take the vaccine. So you don't know who you're voting for. I'm voting for whoever allows me to have more freedom with the choices I make. And we, I mean, you don't know that yet? It's definitely not going to be Biden. Well, then it would be Trump, wasn't it? If it's between the two choices? What? But look at you. you Are you kidding me? I, it's not even a close call, by the, the other way. you just can't own it is very weird, man. You know, this like, who are you voting for? Uh, well... The Constitution says <laughs> it's two words, Trump, Biden. I'm voting for Biden. I'm owning that. Do I think he's yeah, perfect? But I don't know. But I don't think it's I like think it's that. Not even, I, don't, I don't think it's like that. I don't think it's like well, that. Well, just say you're for Trump. I, I, if, you, I, if, if a person I watches my- I don't dislike you for your- I, but, I don't dislike- feel, If somebody watches my podcast, they're going to know who I'm voting for. Well, if somebody watches a podcast, but how odd that you can't just say it because to me, I'm voting based on values. I'm not voting based on, but we know what the values are of Biden and Trump and their, and their policies. We know everything. The left is about force. The right is about choice. So there's obviously a lot there that we could do whole other segments on the right being about freedom and the left about force is silly. And quick plug, if you do want to see a bunch of people, I just picked let down with the
Find me Ukraine. National security begins with border security. We have said that all along. That has been my comment since late on over. It is my comment today. Look at what the Republicans are doing, for example, uh, Kevin, uh, on the border issue. They said that they wouldn't pass aid to Ukraine and other places unless there was action on the border. So the Senate produced a bill negotiated by one of its most conservative Republican members on the border, which had some defects in it, as compromise measures always do. And it uh, and, the, and the House simply announced it was not going to take it up, so it failed even in the Senate. Well, I think these are a couple of issues that uh, put Republicans in peril of looking like a, literally a do-nothing Congress, which... Girl, that's not hard. Wait, does that say chief political analyst, though, for those keeping count? That would be lead Republican negotiator. Say you need three weeks to read through it. He said no self-respecting senator should agree to vote on a 370-page bill. Right? Don't you guys have a procedural vote this week? Are you going to vote on the bill by the end of the week? So we actually have this bill came out uh, yesterday, Sunday. Uh, it, first procedural vote is Wednesday, and that procedural vote is literally just open it up to be able to go through it and to be able to say, are we going to debate it this week? That's what Senator okay. Lee is actually talking about. It's interesting that he said he's already opposed to it. He needs three weeks to be able to read it, but he's already opposed to it. The people of New York's third district, uh, Republicans shanked it, to use your term. And I heard from voters that they were very, now these are obviously um, very well-informed voters, right. but they were they were at the polling station. They were voting early. And several of them said to me that they don't uh, want to vote for the Republican because it's clearly impossible to get a solution on the issue of immigration. They said border, uh, the border problem, the immigration issue, uh, the migrant issue in their district was the top issue for them. And that the fact that Republicans killed that bipartisan deal uh, put them over the edge to vote for Tom Swazi. And now one of Fox News's top analysts, all able to see through Republicans' disastrous stance on the border, and still they refuse to look under the hood. The, the, uh, the result uh, last night is, is not something, in my view, that Democrats should celebrate too much. Think about what happened there. They spent about $15 million to win a seat that President Biden won by eight points. They won it by less than eight points. Their candidate ran like a Republican. He sounded like a Republican talking about the border and immigration because everybody knows that's the top issue. Um, you know, there was a weather event that, uh, that affected turnout. There are a lot of factors there. That is in no way a bellwether of what's going to happen this fall. Why? Because doing so may cross the cult leader. And that means no Trump trading cards in the stocking come Christmas time. So I think the Republicans in the meantime, however, are in danger of losing the advantage they have vis-a-vis -vis Biden on the issue of the border and on the issue of uh, Ukraine funding, Israel funding, uh, funding to, to defend uh, Taiwan because they are refusing to act on these measures that would deal with that. As Trump took to the stage this week and said the quiet part out loud, well, let's be honest, his fascination with dictators isn't really quiet, but his comments on allowing Putin to basically have free reign over NATO allies created quite the shockwave with those who care about foreign policy and national security for that part. He said if NATO countries don't pay more, the U.S. will break its commitment to protect them against a Russian attack. And he said he would encourage, encourage Russia to do whatever the hell they want to those countries. Here it is. NATO was busted until I came along. I said, everybody's going to pay. They said, well, if we don't pay, are you still going to protect us? I said, absolutely not. They couldn't believe the answer. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia... Will you protect us? I said, 
you didn't pay, you're delinquent. He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. React to Donald Trump's comments where he effectively invited Russia to invade NATO countries that may not have given as much to NATO as they are asked to. You know, I, John, you can't put enough adjectives on this to describe how treasonous such a comment is. I think that we can safely say this. Both of these men, they're both elderly. They're both going to make mistakes. Only one of them is encouraging Russia to invade NATO countries. So that is the what? clear difference. You're overturning the 2020 election. Of course. And it talks about it wants to be a dictator. Right. The, stake, the stakes are so obvious. And we are seeing the Biden team go on the offensive. Do some of the things that have happened this week, including, and I know you asked Chris Christie about this, the fact that Donald Trump yesterday suggested that Vladimir Putin should have free reign in attacking NATO allies. Yeah. And what do we see when we wake up this morning? Wall-to-wall -wall coverage of whether a guy who's four years older than his opponent is too old to be president. Concerned that he said this in the same week that Republicans refused to negotiate on a bill that would send aid to Ukraine, citing the border as their reason for refusal. Yes, this coming from the same people who shut down a bipartisan border bill before reading one page of it. So Speaker Johnson said uh, he was slamming this package for excluding the border security provisions. The Senate bill, he said, is silent on the most pressing issue facing our country, talking about the border. He says he's not going to bring it to the floor if it passes the Senate, which it did, but they could find a way to go around the speaker right and, and he says the reason that the house is not going to bring it up is because it means uh, border security stuff which ironically was in the senate bill last week but of course that was kicked to the curb because a bunch of republicans bailed on it because donald trump didn't like it uh bipartisan senate border bill that republicans spiked last week would have provided ice with billions in much needed funding Without that money incoming, the agency has now drafted contingency plans in the face of a dire budget deficit to the tune of some $700 million. CNN has learned that the plan would require cuts to detention capacity and therefore imply the release of thousands of migrants currently in their custody. And the irony was not lost on several outspoken Democrats. I will say I wasn't expecting this from Fox News chief political analyst Brett Hume. We went on quite the tear, tarnishing Republicans for their inability to govern and looking like, as he described, a do-nothing Congress. So I think that uh, that snapshot that those, those polling numbers you cited uh, represent uh, may be temporary and are likely to be temporary, in fact. And that the Republicans, look, think of what the Republicans are doing, for example, uh, Kevin, uh, on the border issue. They said that they wouldn't pass aid to Ukraine and other places unless there was action on the border. So the Senate produced a bill negotiated by one of its most conservative Republican members on the border, which had some defects in it, as compromise measures always do. And it was nonetheless the strongest border protection bill that I've seen in my time in Washington. And it uh, and, the, and the House simply announced it was not going to take it up, so it failed even in the Senate. Then comes uh, this question of the, the measures for the funding of of Ukraine and elsewhere, and that is looks like it's going to go down in the in the House as well, even though it passed the Senate. So I think these are a couple of issues that uh, put Republicans in peril of looking like a, literally a do-nothing Congress, which is something you can bet the Biden administration is going to be talking about going forward in the Biden campaign as well. Amazing. I mean, come on, Brett. That's a wee bit harsh. There are some things that they've done, right? I mean, does the impeachment of Mayor? Real quick, she does not adopt it. 
fought in the story of the 118th Congress, intense GOP divisions, and the failure to effectively govern, are now a new speaker struggling to get his agenda through. I had many people reach out to me via text message will say, what the hell are you guys doing up there? We may have the gavel, but we're not acting like we're in the majority. Majority, there's an expectation that you will be able to govern, and uh, we've just struggled with that. Let's just call a spade a spade here. Uh, Republicans are dealing with not their first choice speaker, not their second choice speaker, not their third choice fair, speaker. Fair. They're dealing with the speaker that they could get and that they could agree on. And okay, fine, but then there's the impeachment of Biden, right? That relies on that really credible witness. This trusted FBI informant has alleged a bribe to the Biden family. And a highly credible FBI source alleges that Joe Biden received $5 million in exchange for pressuring for the firing of a Ukrainian prosecutor. What is the whistleblower saying specifically? Well, as you know, Maria, Senator Grassley and I have reviewed a legally protected and highly credible whistleblower document which alleges that there was an exchange of money for policy decisions made by then Vice President Joe Biden. We uh, have determined that whistleblower is extremely credible. Extremely credible. Breaking news tonight, the blockbuster headline. Tonight, we have just learned that the special counsel in the Hunter Biden case is now charging a confidential FBI source, accusing him of lying about Hunter Biden and his father and their role in Ukraine business. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Abby. Yeah, thoughts and prayers to James Comer and the fake, frivolous, faux Biden impeachment that they've been trying to run. It's been so successful. <laughs> uh, you haven't heard him talk about it for the last couple of weeks. They had to switch to Mayorkas because there's no evidence in Joe Biden. And now what do we find out? What well, we've known all along that this 1023 form that they cried over for months and months was all a lie. Well, at the very least, you have Marge to send out and provide groundbreaking insight on vaccine safety. And I'm not a doctor, but I have a PhD in recognizing bullshit when I hear it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I I'm sorry you all had to go through that. That was a lot of uh, conspiracy theories and wild accusations, uh, which we now have been uh, debunked by, by medical science. And we should be clear that vaccines work and save lives. And they have millions of lives in this country. That a member of this committee actually said... The same person that is actually attacking vaccines said that vaccinated employees get a vaccine logo, a vaccination logo, just like the Nazis forced Jewish people to wear a gold star. I want to I want to read that again. Vaccinated employees get a vaccination logo, just like the Nazis forced Jewish people to wear a gold star. I actually think that do nothing Congress is pretty tight. Love this video? Make sure you stay up to date on the latest breaking news and all things Midas by signing up to the Midas Touch newsletter at MidasTouch.com slash you a brief recap 
of the situation, courtesy of Caitlin Collins from CNN, and how important it was to the MAGA Republican case against Joe Biden. For almost a year now, House Republicans have championed these now totally discredited claims from this informant without naming him. Even a trusted FBI informant has alleged a bribe to the Biden family. We already know the president took bribes from Burisma. Today's indictment alleges that the so-called trusted informant's evidence was actually a fabrication. And again, all because he apparently has a political grudge against the president. Now, what's funny is nothing there's not with respect to this FD 1023 form. It was in the form stated by the FBI agent who took it down that the claims were unverified, that there was no corroborating evidence. It was just an allegation. From, yes, a previously credible confidential source, yes, but there was no evidence to corroborate it. That was made evident in the report. And then even in the aftermath of the report, which, by the way, was investigated by Donald Trump's own DOJ under Bill Barr, and they found that there was no real predicate to do anything with it because it was just an allegation, an uncorroborated allegation. Then even during the Republicans' impeachment inquiry, like when they brought in Devin Archer, again, that the bombshell smoking gun witness, when this FD-1023 form was brought up and the allegations made within, this guy who worked for the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, which is at the heart of these allegations, a guy who knew all the players involved, including Joe and Hunter Biden, he said it sounded like nonsense to him, right? So there was ample, abundant reason to not take this as far as Republicans did. But they did take it quite far, as Caitlin Collins points out, and so did the Fox Propaganda Network. But I want to play some clips um, and read you some things about the Fox Propaganda Network's reaction to it. But I want to start with this Mediaite article, which is really funny because they point out that since the news broke, Fox has done everything in its power to avoid addressing it. So since news broke of Smirnov's, because the guy's name is Alexander Smirnov, his arrest late Thursday afternoon, it's barely been mentioned on Fox. To the credit of Brett Baer, correspondent David Spunt covered the news on special special report Thursday evening. Fox News primetime, the principal profiteer of the original narrative, ignored the story entirely. On Friday, the story has been covered three times so far, each time as a standard news report without any of the context that this indictment is the equivalent of a sledgehammer to the Biden family corruption narrative that's been pervasive on Fox for the past few years. If Fox were dedicated to responsible coverage and even a whiff of journalistic standards, this portion of the story would be getting far more coverage. A news consumer who only got their news from Fox would hardly be disabused of their assumptions that Biden and his family take millions of bribes from foreign governments. It's something Fox won't do because it's not what the viewers want. As we know, those desires must be respected over telling the truth. Corporate profits hang in the balance. That is very much the case. But what's interesting is Sean Hannity, one of the primary purveyors of this, finally addressed it on his radio show, right? But he did it with a whataboutism. Again, I'm going to read it here. He says, I'm mad at the FBI that they got it wrong on the Christopher Steele dossier. This is the Steele dossier, which was um, related to Crossfire Hurricane, which was one of the investigations into Donald Trump and his alleged connections to Russia. And that he was a credible informant to them and was paid by them and paid by Hillary Clinton. I'm mad that the FBI informant, the 1023 form in this case, that now this guy has been charged. It appeared that Alexander Smirnoff was not to be trusted. Okay, so he throws in there that he's mad that this, this source was not to be trusted, but he has to couch it with, you know, a seven or eight year old investigation the Steele dossier, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second because he's not the only one to say it. Hannity goes on to say, quote, see, Hannity didn't tell the truth about the FBI informant. I guess I was stupid. That's what Sean Hannity says. He guesses he was stupid. 
I should have learned from Christopher Steele. They have a bad taste in picking out FBI informants and so on and so forth. So he can't help but like draw most attention to an eight-year-old situation and investigation into Trump. But he's not the only one. Ari Flesher, a legal correspondent on the straight news part of Fox News, did basically the same thing. Yeah, this has been a fascinating week to watch justice unfold. You can watch it in Jordan, you can watch it in Manhattan, you now you can watch it in one other item that we haven't talked about. This was also a week in which the special counsel investigating Hunter Biden announced an indictment of a source that the FBI had, who they say lied to the FBI to make up bad stuff about Hunter. Fine. If a source lied to the FBI like that, I have no problem with prosecuting that person. But then why hasn't Michael Steele the author of the Steele dossier had been prosecuted. This, again, is the two sides of justice. And it keeps seeming that if you're out to get Donald Trump, you get the green carpet. You can do whatever you want. Just walk right down and attack Donald Trump. But on the other side, these prosecutors, especially in blue areas of America, are waiting to pounce and the press pounces along with them and paints a very sympathetic portrait. So why was that source indicted and michael Steele is celebrated by the left that's the problem i have with justice in america since donald trump came to office and the democrats have broken the norms democrats have broken the norms he says again he makes everything about the Steele dossier which is eight years old and by the way if they had a case to make a prosecutable case you know who was in power for four years donald trump and trump appointed attorneys general including bill barr a man who despised crossfire hurricane that investigation into donald trump who actually appointed a special counsel john durham to investigate that investigation who went out of his way to preempt the Mueller special counsel investigation which was related to it bill barr if there was a case to be made to indict this person for making false statements to the fbi and i'm not entirely sure that christopher Steele did make false statements to the fbi he was the person responsible for compiling the the dossier against hillary clinton and by the way, some of it was publicly verified. Not all of it was lies. Not all of it was unverified. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure to what extent they were lies. Just a lot of it was unverified or disproven. And other parts of it were verified. So it was a mixed bag. So he's comparing apples and oranges. And it says something, again, that Bill Barr, under Donald Trump, apparently couldn't find anything to prosecute. But that's why they have to couch it in this. Then you have Maria Bartiromo, also in the Fox propaganda. She is scrambling. So she's talking to a Republican congressman here. Um, and this exchange is just hilarious. The cope and the denial coming from not just Fox, but also the Republican congressman. Uh, I'll let them speak for themselves. And he said that the Bidens, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, accepted five million dollars each from Burisma. Uh, apparently is getting him indicted. The FBI in, uh, says the special counsel is indicting him, saying that he provided uh, incorrect derogatory information about President Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden on felony false statements and obstruction charges. He's facing 25 years in prison. What is this about? Well, this is certainly something that needs further investigation. I mean, we have just seen this two-tiered justice system under the Biden administration, and well, even before the Biden administration, for that matter, uh, concerning Hillary Clinton. So it just goes on and on and on. So Congress, who has oversight, of course, is being kept very busy by a myriad of investigations, and uh, and that is also a problem because it's keeping us from doing a lot of the business that we 
want to do when it comes to policy. But uh, we're bogged down with it. And American people deserve answers to these types of things. It seems to me uh, that this source should be able to take some whistleblower type of refuge in this situation. And I would hope that he comes to Congress uh, to dis to discuss this. Because this problem within the agencies where they get to control the narrative every time, even amongst their people. What narrative? If the guy committed a crime, what do you want the FBI to do? Not prosecute? Not indict? Of course you don't, because it's beneficial to your narrative. And by the way, speaking of narratives, well, we, we really want to govern. We really want to govern, and this stuff is just really getting in the way. It's really inconvenient for us. Gosh, we just, we want to govern so much, but all this, like, all this Biden stuff is just getting in the way. Buddy, man, this has been a fishing expedition from the start. You all have relentlessly sought this. You all are making this your problem at any time you can go you know what we just the evidence isn't there we've we've looked for more than a year this is just the final straw we need to let this go and actually get back to governing you choose not to that is entirely 100 percent the republicans fault democrats are faultless in this they're blameless it is all on the republicans now in terms of dropping it ranking member jamie raskin democrat of the uh, house oversight committee he says in a detailed indictment, special counsel David Weiss, who was appointed by former President Donald Trump, has demonstrated how key evidence at the heart of the Republicans' impeachment inquiry is based on a lie. Special counsel Weiss's investigation is just the most recent to debunk the Ukraine Burisma conspiracy theory at the heart of this fraudulent impeachment inquiry. It's an undeniable fact that Republicans' allegations against President Biden have always been a tissue of lies built on conspiracy theories, and I formally call on Speaker Johnson, Chairman Comer, and House Republicans to stop promoting this nonsense and end their doomed impeachment inquiry. It's so bad that the president himself, who usually doesn't weigh in on this, uh, he finally got involved as well. Saturday impeachment inquiry is you for allegedly lying. Your reaction to that and should the inquiry be crossed? He is lying and it should be dropped. And it's just been a it's been an outrageous effort from the beginning. There you go. Even President Biden, who usually tries to stay above the fray, even he's like, guys, this is this is ridiculous. And it is, right? Um, so yeah, I just love watching Fox try desperately try to scramble to cover their ass on this.
keep showing up. If no one invests in you, invest in yourself. If no one believes in you, believe in yourself. Even if you don't see the results right away, keep showing up until you do see the results. Even if you don't see the results for a very, very long time, keep showing up. What if the results don't come? They're not going to come if you quit. Keep showing up. I'm tired. Keep showing up. I don't feel like it. Keep showing up. I can't see any results. Keep showing up. I don't know where to start. Just start. Do something. Take that first step. Every step you take adds up. And sooner or later, you'll look back and see that you're at the top of the staircase. It doesn't matter if you can't see the top of where you are. Just know that if you keep climbing, if you keep learning how you can get to the next level, you will soon be exactly where you need to be if you quit. If you never start climbing, if you never take that first step, you'll never get there. And you'll forever live in regret. People don't make it because they quit. Full stop. They say they tried everything. Sure, they tried everything. They tried everything but sticking it out. They tried everything but courage to keep going. They tried everything but showing heart when things got hard. They did try quitting. Winners do not quit. They show up. Rain, hell, or shine. They show up when it works, when it's hard. They show up every single downtime. And that, that right there's the difference. Keep showing up. Rain, hell, or shine. Success is mine. Hard or easy. Slow or long. Success is mine. Feel like it. Don't feel like it. Success is mine. Failure, setback, naysayers. Success is mine.